So um, if you're visiting with us today, we are um, in the middle of a series we've been in for a while called Stronger, and uh, we've kind of hit a new little milestone in that, so I want to talk to you about that this morning. And um, Part of that series over the past uh, four or five months, I guess six months almost, is um, that we're getting stronger physically, and one of the ways we're going to do that is the first ever New Life 5K. Um, and it is gonna, it, it's coming soon. What we need you for you to do, if you've signed up for the 5K or if you would like to sign up for our first annual 5K, you can run, you can walk, you can crawl, you can wheelchair, um, anything but a four-wheeler you can use um, for our 5K. We just want to promote um, getting out and, and uh, exercising together and being a little more healthy. So Jennifer's going to help with that. Um, Jennifer just walked in. She's going to help with that. She's going to kind of help lead the 5K. Um, but I, I'm going to help kind of get things kicked off as well. We're going to start next, next Sunday. If you can come after church, if you're interested in the, being a part of the 5K, even if you just want some more information, we're going to have about a 10-minute, maybe 15-minute meeting after church to talk about the 5K and about the date and about how we're going to do it. We're actually going to work out together a little bit, not every Sunday, but some Sundays we're going to come. We're going to have a nice healthy lunch after church, and then we're going to kind of exercise together and, and get ready for this. So it's going to be fun. We're excited about it, and um, just want to let you know about that as well. Man, I still feel loud this morning. Um, anyway, well, as we get started this morning, I want to have a quick word of prayer. Um, do what we do every week. Many of you need this desperately this week. I know I do. Um, and uh, just a, a moment to kind of take a step back and, and um, kind of get some perspective on your life and pray that God will kind of put your priorities um, in the right place. If you're like me, you have, you've already messed up and it's only Sunday morning and you've already kind of got your priorities out of whack. And um, it's a good opportunity just to take a deep breath and get things back where they need to be. So let's do that this morning and then uh, we will get started. God, in the quiet of the room today, we pray you would reorganize our thoughts, our priorities. God, as much as we like to think we're not, as much as we like to try to get out, we are, most of us in this room, a part of the rat race of life. That if we're not careful, gives us complete loss of perspective on our life and on what's important. So today, God, we pray right here in this place, if nothing else happens today, that you would give us better perspective. For those of us in the room today that struggle with anxiety and depression, would you give us relief today because of our reprioritization? God, for those today who are struggling with physical ailments, pray that you would give us peace. We do pray for Bill, where he sits today, and Dorothy, that you would give them just a deep breath that you're in charge. Pray for Jack and Irene today. I can't even say their names without a little bit of a smile just because of the joy they bring to us, and God, the thought of them being in pain is just hard for us. So would you give us all peace? Would you give, wherever they sit today, would you remind them of the love that's around them? God, as we talk about the inner part of who we are today, we, um, it's going to be easy for us to put up a wall. 
to shut you out, to shut others out. God, I'm praying that right now you'd soften our hearts. That you would shake up and stir up and break up all the things in our lives that have cost us the joy and the peace and the courage that you intend for us to have. Thank you for your son. We thank you that you didn't just create the world and spin it, but that you want to do life with us, and we choose you now in your son's name. Amen. Ah, <sighs> feels better. As we talk about stronger, we've talked about stronger physically, spiritually, relationally, um, and now we're, we're jumping into stronger emotionally. And uh, I told Risha this morning we were on the way to work, or on the way to work, on the way to church. Um, and we, we kind of have a routine. Risha and I have a routine, and she has not ever been a routine person until she married me, and I am, I struggle with anxiety and depression like some of, some of you do, and one of the things that helps my anxiety is routine. I know what's coming, and I'm, I'm comforted by it, you know, and I think she's, she used to do it because she loves me. Now she's really starting to like our routine, especially when it includes an Egg McMuffin and a large coffee with two creams and two sugars on a Sunday morning. Um, and uh, today it was just kind of stressful getting that all done because we had lots of other things that were outside of our routine, and we were on the way here today, and I said, man, I, I'm preaching this sermon series about emotions and about our emotional strength, and it's important. When we talk about this stuff, it, this, is, this is life-changing for you. This is what takes you from being a religious person to being a person who lives, walks, and talks with God and takes you from... The li- a life of fear and anxiety to a life of joy and peace. This is the kind of thing that takes you to that. And I, I don't think it's any, any secret or any coincidence that when we decide to preach a series that can really change who you are from the inside out, the enemy throws everything he can in our way. And I've got to tell you, it's happened for me and my family this week, and I know it's happened for some of you. It used to kind of intimidate me and get me a little bit scared and kind of discourage me. Now it just lets me know I'm on the right track. Um, and so I've been praying for you this morning, I've been praying for my own family. I'm going to tell you that, that I, I often preach sermons that step on my own toes, as they say. I often preach sermons out of the kind of pain that I'm dealing with in my life. Never have I preached a sermon series that is more in line with the things that I struggle with personally. So you need to know today that, I am, um, th- that this comes straight out of my heart, that the words I speak today come from a really transparent place in my life. And as we talk about being emotionally stronger, what I mean by that is not to lay on the couch and talk about your mom. We're not going to do that. Um, I, I'm not talking about counseling necessarily. I'm not even necessarily talking about your mental stability. What I'm talking about is being the same person in all circumstances and being the same person around everybody you're around and allowing to, uh, yourself to be comfortable with who you are inside and out. I'll tell you what I mean by that. The problem is that we, we all have something, it seems, beneath the surface. All of us. Even in this room today. And it strikes me that, I, I didn't know if I wanted to say this or not, my TVs aren't working, so I'm going to have to turn around this morning. But, oh, oh, did he? Oh, there we go. Thanks. So, basically, this thing we have beneath the surface of us, um, you know, I, I would be remiss if I didn't tell you I have it beneath my surface. Truthfully, I get up on a Sunday morning, and many of you think as a preacher, I'm kind of a happy, really happy person, and John must have the peace that passes all understanding. He's got a big smile, and he shakes hands, and he's happy, and he makes a quick joke, and then there's always something a little funny, and then him and Rick give it to each other. We go back and forth, and if you're not careful, you get the impression that John and Risha have a certain category of happiness that comes with being a preacher. 
And you need to know it's just not true. The truth is I've become really good at this job. It's just like any job, just like your job. When you go into work every day, if you don't want people to know how you're feeling really, you've gotten pretty good at explain and knowing what to do. In fact, if you go into work and you're, you're sick and you don't want anybody to know it, you know how to hide that. If you go into work, you feel a little different or you, you're a little below par, you can, you can usually make up for that. And the truth is that's the way we are. And there's something beneath the surface of all of us that Jesus came to earth and what he did, he said, you know what, what God's most interested in in you is what's beneath the surface. Because what's beneath the surface will eventually come out. And many of you have had these experiences before. For me, if you're a golfer, Terry, you've seen this before, you'd be playing, I'll never forget, I was playing golf with a guy. This happens all the time, but one in particular moment, I'll never forget my life. I was playing with a guy um, who was a, I just barely knew him, and he's a really good golfer. Um, and we got up to the second hole, and he had made bogey on the first hole, which is bad for him. And we got up on the second hole, and he hit a ball out of bounds. And when he did, something snapped in him. And it was as if all of us, and I didn't know him that well, but it was as if all of us knew something snapped. And you've probably seen this before, you're playing golf. And the guy takes his driver, starts beating it into the ground over and over and over. Then, and this is a long time ago, it's back when the T-markers were plastic. They had those big plastic golf balls on the T-markers. He takes his driver and like Happy Gilmore, full swing, hits the, this plastic golf ball, and it just shatters all over everywhere. And I barely know this guy. He's wearing a big dress suit, you know. And, I mean, or, when we met him, he came out, and he kind of wore his dress pants and put on a jacket to play golf, and he just looked the part. And he was stressed, and I was kind of stressed playing with him, and something then snapped in me, and I just started dying laughing. <laughs> I thought it was the most hysterical thing because there's, there's something in him that just was beneath the surface. There's something that was completely beneath the surface because you hit a ball out of bounds. It doesn't cause you to go that out of control. There's something else going on there. And at that moment, in me, there was something else going on too. This is a guy who I thought had it all together. And I really liked the thought that he didn't. And it made me really laugh to see this guy wearing more money's worth of clothes than my car costs with serious problems in his life. So serious that he's beaten the snot out of the second hole tee box with his driver. It, 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 there, it, and it, what it got to is that by the third or fourth hole, there was this kind of an air that this guy's not right. This guy's just not right. And he got up to about, I think it was the fourth or fifth hole, so it was a couple holes after. And nobody, this is the way you do it on the golf course if you don't play. Somebody has a fit like that, you just walk on the other side of the fairway. <laughs> You just let them do their thing. You get up to the green, and you don't even tell them nice shot. You don't do anything. You just walk up to the... So we get up to the next, the, like two holes later, and he hadn't said a word to anybody. And nobody had said a word to him. We all line up sideways and kind of whisper, you know. And finally, he starts to hit the ball in the fourth hole, and we're, you know, we're kind of hoping he doesn't hit it out of bounds, and then I'm kind of hoping he does again, you know, just to see what happens. But he rears back to hit, and he just stops in the middle of his swing. And he says, all right, I've got to tell you what happened. And he leans on his driver. He, this is a business golf outing. He didn't, he didn't know us. He leans on his driver and he says, my daughter got arrested last Friday night again. And this time I didn't bail her out. My wife wanted to bail her out and I didn't. We fought about it and my wife left me that evening. So my daughter's in jail. My wife's gone and I'm playing golf with you. And I hit one out of bounds and it made me really mad. And then we all said, Okay, I get it. See, at that point, destroying the second hole makes a whole lot more sense because there's something beneath. 
And I got to tell you what happened is I got to know the guy. We sent emails back and forth. I still know him. He's still, we're still kind of friends because it does something to you too. When what's beneath the surface comes out, it's good for you and it's good for everybody around you. And we begin to make a connection to, that we would have never had had he not destroyed those little golf balls on the second hole. Because we got to see what was beneath the surface. And although it's ugly, although it's weird, although it makes you feel vulnerable, especially men, although it makes you feel as though you're maybe not as good as everybody else, which is really good for you too, something about it changes your, your, your whole aspect of life and your whole understanding of your priorities. And it's what God intends. In fact, Jesus came and he got, he got so frustrated with people who, did, who lived this way. And the truth is, it just becomes a way of life if you're not careful. You just push it under the surface. And you've heard me talk about it here at church on Sundays. And I, I laugh about it a lot, how that when sometimes we come in and we'll shake hands or we'll say, hey, how you doing? And then we give that cheesy, <laughs> I'm doing okay, and everybody knows I'm not, and, but let's just not talk about it, you know? And I've been pushing really hard around here that, that we're not going to be that kind of place. Nobody needs another place like that. You have places like that. What you need is a place where you can come in and go, yeah, it's not good, and I'm not right, and my money's not right, and my, my relationships are broken, and, my, and instead of beating the, the golf club problem, you just go, hey, here it is. This is it. And when Jesus came to earth, he saw this as a human problem. He didn't see this as a problem that you and I have, or would have 2,000 years later. He saw it as a real problem that everyone has, that just beneath the surface, there is something in all of us that is causing us anxiety and pain and sadness. And you can call it counseling, you can call it therapy, you can use Xanax, you can lay on the couch and talk about your mom, you can look at pictures and you can do whatever you want, but the truth is, when we go beneath the surface and pull up what lies beneath the surface, it changes who we are. Here's what Jesus said. He's talking to a whole group of religious people, and he says this, you're hopeless. You religion scholars and Pharisees, he's talking about preachers, those who are paid to do church. He said, you're frauds. You burnish the surface of your cups. So this, this idea of burnishing was that they would polish with all kinds of different tools, and it, people really loved to do this. They would polish this pottery with so many tools that it would just shine and the light would hit it just right, and that's what he's talking about. Now, the way Jesus taught, he always taught like this. He would pick up things, and he would, he would lift up things, and he would say, see this, and, and life is like a farmer's field, and they'd be standing in the field with a farmer going through, you know, and so I, I have no doubt Jesus probably picked up one of these cups as he was talking, and he said, you, you burnish the surface of your cups and bowls, and they sparkle in the sun. They're beautiful on the outside, while the inside... And I'm, I figured Jesus had somebody do this for him, you know, or maybe he, it was another miracle and he just had done this himself. But he probably takes the cup and turns it upside down, and this beautiful cup is full of maggots. And he says, on the, while the insides are maggoty with your greed and gluttony. See, what happened is, at, at this point in history, the religious people were the rich people. Things have changed, unless you watch television a lot and watch the preachers on TV. But... At this point in history, the rich people were religious. At this point in history, the, the, the smartest people, or as they thought, were religious. The religious people were the ones ruling everything. The religious people were the ones walking around in the nice clothes and the nice stuff. And Jesus says this. He says, you guys are, are worthless. 
You're absolutely worthless. You, you talk about helping the poor, you talk about peace, you talk about God, you talk about loving the Creator, but the truth is, you're full of maggots. Now, this kind of talk is what got Jesus crucified. This kind of talk is what got Him killed. Saying to people, you know what, nobody cares what you look like on the outside. They all go, what do you mean? It's the shine that matters in life. And Jesus says, I don't care. I don't care. You're full of maggots. And I'm tired of looking at you. I'm tired of being around you. He says, your insides are maggoty with your greed and your gluttony. They would pack themselves full. They were some of the fattest people on the earth at that point, the religious people, the, the religious leaders. They just packed themselves full of food. They got what they wanted. Reminds me when I was a kid, that's what you did after church. If you were a preacher in this family, you'd go to somebody's house for fried chicken. Fried chicken and fried friedness with friedness and more grease, and then you'd lay on the couch and watch a football game until somebody had to poke you to wake you up. Then you'd stumble out to your car and talk about feeding the poor. It, things haven't changed much. He says, scour the insides. Actually, first he says, you stupid Pharisee. <laughs> I love that. You stupid Pharisee. The idea there, this is actually from a version of the Bible called The Message. The idea there is really not the word stupid. The idea is this. You have missed the point. And that's what Jesus says. You have missed the point. And when he would have said you have missed the point to the Pharisees, what he would have said was, your life is going the wrong direction. You have spent all your time and all of your energy pursuing the wrong things. That's what he means by stupid. And the truth is, that is a pretty good translation. And, and you and I do it too. That's why we find ourselves 65-hour work weeks. And on Saturday, mowing the lawn because we don't have time during the week, and then our kids are looking out the window at us as we move along. Is that just me? We, we forget the things that are most important until we're laying in the hospital. And at one point, we understand what Jesus means. He says, scour the insides. So take, take that, that, that cloth and take all that stuff. Do the inside first. Scour the insides, then the gleaming surface will mean something. And he uses a word, um, that you've heard often. In fact, it's one of the top ten reasons people say they don't come to church. If you really dig into it, it's, it's just a facade. But the word is hypocrite. And, and that next slide says this. That a hypocrite is really just an actor. At this point, when, when, when the word hypocrite be, came about, it wasn't unreligious or unchristian people saying that about Christian people. It was Jesus. It was Jesus calling these people, and, and, and the people who followed Jesus, calling people who weren't really who they seemed to be, who weren't acting who they really were. They called them actors. Now, at this point in history, in a theater in, in Greece, you could, you could go watch people in a theater put on a play, and what you would call them, they'd put on a little mask, and you've seen that before. They'd put on a mask, and they would pretend to be somebody they're not, and you would call them a hypocrite. It wasn't a derogatory thing. That's, it was like calling them an actor. You would call them a hypocrite. So when Jesus said to somebody, you're being a hypocrite, basically what he was saying is, nobody believes that you are what you say you are. And you're not even a good hypocrite. You're not even a good actor. I see right through the acting. This book that I'm reading right now, if you deal with emotional instability, whether it's anxiety or depression, and I'm going to give some examples of that here pretty soon. Man, this book, I often say if you're a reader, pick this book up. If you're not a reader, become a reader and then pick this book up because it's that important. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, and it's, 
it's slowly changing my life um, and changing churches all over everywhere. Some of what you're going to hear over the next few weeks comes from that, a little bit of what you're going to hear today. It, basically, acting like somebody you're not, which we all do to some extent, acting like somebody you're not is what he refers to as spiritual unhealthy, or, um, I'm sorry, he calls it emotionally unhealthy spirituality. So if there's anything in you that is pretending to be something you're not at any given time, then then you're not healthy. And it's costing you. And you need to know. Check out this next slide. Here are some symptoms of what, what Jesus would call a dirty inside of your cup. Here are some symptoms. Here's some ways to know. Now, there's 10 or 12 of these listed in the spiritually unhealthy spirituality. Some of them I don't really get it. Um, and, so, and some of them I've kind of reworded and some of them I've kind of made up new ones. So here's some of them that, may, that you may relate to that may, may kind of let you kind of test yourself a little bit. Here's the first one. If you use God to run from God, I'll tell you what I mean by that. If you're in a place where you're, you're coming to church because it kind of makes you feel like you're checking something off a list, you can live however you want to live as long as you, you come to church and you check off the thing. Or maybe it's you, you, you have this relationship with God where He just bails you out. He just bails you out. The only time you come to Him, the only time you talk to Him, the only time you act, is when you're asking for getting bailed out of something. You need something. It's a sign of dirty insides. Ignore the emotions of anger, sadness, or fear. If you're ignoring these things, now what happens to me is that I, I ignore them a little bit personally and then I just don't talk about them to anybody and I pretend that I'm dealing with them. But the truth is, if you're, if you're dealing with anger or sadness or fear in some way, if you're dealing with that internally and you're not talking about it, if you're pretending you're not dealing with it, I want to let you know, it's just beneath the surface. And let me tell you, it will come up. <laughs> Whether it's beating the heck out of a plastic golf ball in the second hole, or yelling at your kids, or leaving your husband, getting fired from your job, drinking too much, smoking, whatever it is, it will lead you, it will come up out of your life and it will lead you to places you would have never thought you can be. Denying the past's impact on the present. Many of us do this. And Christians are the worst. Here's what they like to say. Hey, when I became a Christian, I left my past behind me. Well, and man, there's, there's something to be said for that. You know, Jesus says we're new creatures. But there are consequences that come with, with the past for you. And if you're, dealing, if you're somebody who's had a, a, a family life that's not been good, if you're somebody who has dealt with relationships or dealt with abuse in some way, and you have never dealt with that, you need to know it is going to affect, if it's not already, the people that you love most and the people around you. When, when I got married, um, I, I married Risha, and she was just, it was amazing to me. It was just, I had never been in love like that, and it was just this, Incredible time, and I remember riding a bike in Bloomington Normal, and I didn't ride bikes, I just did because she asked me to. I'm huffing and puffing, pretending that I do this all the time. And she was riding out in front of me, she kind of whipped around a corner, and I thought, holy cow, I'm not going to be able to keep up with her. And my first thought was, I'm not going to be able to keep up with her in a lot of ways. Because she's never been married before, and I'd been divorced. I had all this baggage. Man, I thought, maybe I don't need to talk about it. Maybe I can just pretend it never happened. Maybe she doesn't even need to know. Maybe that... And... I'll tell you, it wasn't a week before I was sitting on her couch slobbering and crying, talking about my divorce. And every day since then, it's gotten a little bit better. 
the baggage, the stuff that I brought to our marriage, had I not talked about it, had we not constantly had a conversation about the baggage that comes from my past, it would ruin my marriage. It's amazing. When we first got married, I said, we had a little bit of an argument, and she didn't even say it. She never has. But I had the sense that she might say, hey, if you, if you don't see things my way, I'm just going to walk out of here. And with my history, the way I had, that's exactly what happened to me. She left me, and I didn't know it was coming, and I, I didn't have any connection with her anymore, but I had this baggage, and I had the feeling that Risha was going to walk out. So I said right then, hey, just in case it ever crosses your mind, it's got to be off the table in our marriage. There's no leaving. We signed up for this thing for life, and we can, you can threaten a lot of things, but walking out the door is not one of them because it will take me to places that I don't want to go, and not one time in my marriage, not one time has she threatened that, nor have I. And if had I not said it, had, we not, had it not come out, here's what I'm saying today. If your relationships, if the people that you love most, your children, your husband, your wife, your fiance, your, your grandma and grandpa, the people that you love around you the most, if, if you love them, if you want to see them healthy, you've got to get what's beneath the surface out. Dividing life into secular and sacred compartments. You know how that is. This is God category over here, and this is my life over here. So on Friday nights, I'm going to go out and do whatever I want. I'm going to go out and whatever I need to, and then over here on Sundays, I'm going to be who I need to be on Sunday. When my parents are around, I'm going to talk like this, but when, when my friends are around, I'm going to talk like this. When you do this, it, it creates a dichotomy in you, this hypocrisy that Jesus called it. It's, it's acting. And when you do that, it leads you to places that you just don't want to be. Doing for God instead of being with God. This is a big one. Those who serve in order to earn something from God. Covering brokenness weakness or failure, covering the, 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 the fact that you've got something in you that's broken. This happens with men all the time. I'll never forget going to a funeral about three years ago, and I won't mention it because they're, they're among us, but uh, one of the most biggest, burliest guys I've known around here, um, I was at a funeral, and I saw him crying at a funeral. And I've always loved him, but there was a whole new respect for a man who can cry like that, a tough, strong guy who can also let people know that he's broken. And it changes who you are. Living without limits. Living without limits will cause unhealthy spirituality in you. And here's what I mean by that. You can do anything you want anytime you want. Whether it's financially, whether it's sexually, physically, whatever it is. If you don't put margin in your life, if you don't put limits on your life, it will cause you to go places emotionally that you, you will one day find yourself in places that you will never believe you would be in. This margin thing is new for Risha and I. We're working on this a lot. And I'll just tell you where you'll end up. You may end up where Risha and I are. If you don't put limits on, your, on yourself financially, if you just spend whatever comes into your life, if when you get a check, you just, it's just gone, if whenever you see something you want, you just get it, if whenever you're hungry, you just go get it, and you just eat it, and you just do it, and if you live like that long enough, you'll find yourself in a position where you're trapped. You're just trapped. Have you ever had the feeling where you've got a closet at home or a, a, a room where you either keep your clothes or like the hall closet that you don't want the company to open or it'll all spring out on top of them? That's a, that's a, a room or a door or a closet without, without any margin in it. And that's what your life becomes. 
Without any limits, without any margin, your life becomes explosive. And when somebody opens the door at just the right time, everything explodes. And so what you end up doing is you, you have to do one of two things. Either you downward spiral emotionally. You find yourself in a place like Meadows or in a hospital. Or you make a serious, serious life change. To, re, to try to fix and re, redo all the things you've done in your life. With Risha and I, we had made mistakes financially and we had lived like that, limitless and for me, it was about generosity. Well, I'll just buy everybody's lunch, you know. And pretty soon, everybody's lunch adds up to not being able to pay your bills. And so Risha and I now, we're putting our house on the market. We're moving into a garage. And it's actually about the most financially free I've ever been, I've been for a long time. The thought of just taking a step back. And we can, afford, we can keep living in this house and keep struggling and keep dealing with this, or we can stop. And say, we're going to create margin. Now, where you are financially, maybe you just started down this road. It's not going to be near as big a consequence. But I yesterday mowed my yard and a tear came down my eye. Thinking, I wonder how many more times I get to mow my yard. And my kids. This is affecting my kids. My poor son crying when he hears us talk about moving. This is his house. Why do we have to move, Dad? Well, well, son, here's the thing. Your mom and I lived however we wanted to for about five or six years financially. Truthfully, that's why we're moving. I'm going to tell you, you're going to end up there too. Whether it's financial, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, whatever it is, if you continue to do your life without limits, without margin, you will find yourself not only paying for your own consequences, but the people you love most will be paying too. You need to get it fixed. And of course, judging others. Judging others is what we're known for, by the way, as Christians. Jesus says, they'll know you're Christians by your love. Not in America. They'll know you're Christians by your bumper stickers. They'll know you're Christians by your picket signs and your weird Facebook posts. They'll know you're Christians by how much you hate people, not by how much you love people in America. We're going to make some changes on that, and I think it's coming. But when you judge people, if you have a problem, if you find yourself going through your life just judging one person after another, you need to know it's a symptom dirty insight and of hypocrisy. But Jesus says what, what's beneath the surface finally comes through. It's, it's amazing. He sat with some of the best, some of the, the people that were closest to him. And this, this man named Peter who was really close to him who, who just absolutely loved Jesus actually reminds me of some of the people that I know around here even. I won't mention names. But just completely fired up, always ready to go, always excited, but maybe taking it too far sometimes, you know? Always Always pumped and then always, oops, sorry. This is what he did all the time. I should have, and then I, oh God, I, Jesus, I want to do this, but oh, I'm sorry, I did that instead. At one point, they come to get Jesus and Peter takes his sword out and just rips a guy's ear off with it. <laughs> Jesus is like, yeah, they'll know we're Christians by the way we rip people's ear off. Is that right? So Jesus picks up the ear, by the way, and puts it back on the guy. And Peter goes, I'm sorry. You know, that's, that's what he does. And at one point, Jesus is sitting with him. And I love this story. This is where I'm going to end my sermon today. Jesus is sitting with Peter and, and with all the guys around the, around the table. And he says, Peter, before the night's out, Jesus already knew he was going to be crucified, he was going to be killed. He said, Peter, before the night's out, you're going to de deny me three times. Before the rooster crows, you're going to tell three different people you never knew me. And Peter's like, Jesus, you're my life. I wouldn't do that. Jesus says, it's going to happen. Now, there's something in Peter that point just beneath the surface something that wants people to approve of him 
Something that cares a little bit more, just a little bit more is all it takes. Something that cares a little bit more about how the people around him feel about him than about how God feels about him, how Jesus felt about him. He wouldn't admit it. He wouldn't admit it. He said, no, Jesus, is not going to happen. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. In fact, he gets mad at Jesus and probably swore at him. He had a little cussing problem. I don't know if you can imagine actually cussing to Jesus, but that takes some guts, you know what I'm saying? And he says, no way, I'm not going to deny you. And the look in Jesus had to be, well, I'm, I'm just the guy who turned the water into wine. Maybe I don't know. And even then, even then, Peter could not stop and be transparent and explain what was underneath the surface. Even then, he couldn't admit that there was a problem that he had that was underneath the surface. So this is what happened. Jesus was on the cross being crucified. People all around, the disciples were kind of leaving one at a time. And finally, somebody comes up to Peter and says, Hey, you know that guy? You know that Jesus guy? Without even thinking. Nope. That's one. Somebody else goes, Hey, I know you know him. I know, hey, I saw you with him. And he goes, No, I didn't. That's two. Finally, a third person comes up and goes, No, you're Peter. You're one of Jesus' closest followers, actually. And Peter, according to Matthew, cusses. Absolutely not. Rick used the word but. I'm telling you, it was worse than that. <laughs> Absolutely not. Then he got really nervous and swore. I don't know the man. And just then, a rooster crowed. Just then he heard a rooster crow. And it broke him. Look what it did. Just then, a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered what Jesus had said, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. He went out, and he cried, and he cried, and he cried. In emotionally healthy spirituality, we find love, joy, and courage. If you are healthy spiritually, if, you are, if you're doing the right things, if you're living the way God intends for you to have, you will have love, joy, and courage. Now, not all the time, but it will permeate your life. If you're overwhelmed by the, the opposite of those, by hate, by sadness and fear, you aren't experiencing life the way God intends for you to experience life. And it's not just chemical imbalance. And it's not just a little problem with your history. It's that something's under the surface and you have to deal with it. So what if Peter had done something a little different that day? What if when Jesus had said to him, I'm almost done, so hang with me. What if Jesus had said to him, hey, Peter, before the night's out tonight, you're going to deny me three times. What if Peter, instead of getting defensive, instead of acting like it would have made him a less person, instead of being more concerned with all the guys around and what they were going to think of him and what Jesus was going to think of him, what if he would have, instead of getting defensive and saying, no way, never am I going to do it. Not only no, but H, no. I'm not going to ever do that. Instead of doing that, what if he said, I'm broken. There is something in me, Jesus. You're exactly right. There is something in me that when, when, when it comes down to it, I'm more concerned with how people think about me. There's a fear in me that I'm so concerned about death that I'll say anything to get out of it. There's a fear in me. There's an anxiety in me. There's this thing in me that's judgmental. What if he just said, Jesus, you're right. And it's beneath the surface, and I'm tired of it. Now, Jesus would have still died on a cross that night. But what might it have done differently for Peter? What would it do differently for you? 
If instead today of walking out of here going, eh, crazy people John's talking about today. Instead of going, boy, honey, did you hear what John said? Instead of poking at somebody else, instead of sending an email, instead of making a copy of this to send us one of your friends, what if you said, yeah, that's me. There's something under the surface that's been there too long, and I'm tired of it, and i got to get it to the surface and get it out before it comes out when I don't want it to. Peter protested. Even if I had to die, I wouldn't do this. But he did. So today, I want to give you some things, some simple steps today. This is as practical as I can get, and these are things that are coming straight from my life right now, things that I'm trying to do, because here's what I've noticed in my life. It usually comes in the form of me yelling at my kids. I don't take a golf club and beat things, although I'm playing pretty bad this year. It could happen at some point. But I'll tell you what happens to me. Reese will walk out of the back door and will leave it open. I don't know why he does that. Who's he thinks going to shut it? He just does. He just walk out, and there's the door wide open. The dog's coming out, barking at people. The air conditioner's coming out, and he doesn't move. And normally, under normal circumstances, the loving dad that I am says, hey, buddy, don't forget to shut the door behind you. But what's underneath the surface? What's underneath the surface causes me to say things to my son that if you told me right now, if you said, John, by the end of this week, you're going to yell at Reese so, so loud that it scares him. John, by the end of this week, that little boy that's so skinny you can see through him, he's going to be scared of your voice. He's going to be scared of you this week because of the way you yelled at him. I would say, not only no, but H, no. Not, not me. Not my son. I don't do that. I'm not going to do that. Unless I stop and go, wait a minute, there's something inside of me. There's something little, there's something right under the surface. And I need to deal with it. So I'm going to ask you today to stop the game. That's what Jesus did. He said to these guys, hey, you're actors, you're hypocrites. Take the mask off. Stop the game. Stop the play. Stop the charade. You've heard people say, I'm getting out of the rat rat race. That's what they mean. I'm stopping the game. I'm going to be who I am no matter who's around. I'm going to say what's underneath. I'm going to get this out of my life once and for all. Stop the game. Create margin for yourself at all costs. At all costs. If that means you need to quit seeing that guy. If that means you need to quit hanging out with that girl. If that means you need to find a different crowd. If that means you need to sell your house and move into a garage so that you can get peace, hope, and joy back into your family, do it at all costs. Because your life is at stake. Now, if you're a baptized believer in Jesus Christ, you need to know you have the gift of eternal life. It's yours. You can't, you're not going to lose it. As long as you stay in touch with God. But I can tell you this. You can lose your life here on earth if you don't take care of what's underneath the surface. Pursue time for God at all costs. Pursue time for God at all costs. Find a way, find a place, find a time. Find a way to get with God and get perspective on your life at all costs. And then finally, tell someone now. Tell someone what you're feeling. Tell someone what's under the surface. Find me, find Rick, find an elder, find a friend, find a baby. I don't care. Find somebody to get this out through because it's time for us to get what's just underneath the surface out. Band, you guys can come up. So this cup that Jesus talks about, it's a cup. I was going to bring one today, and I couldn't find one that, that I thought looked right. But these cups, they'd be real shiny on the outside and then... On the inside, it could be anything they wanted. And there are cultures, even to this day, 
There are cultures that will not drink a glass of water. If you hand them a glass of water, they won't drink it unless it's a clear glass. Because they've had so many people in their lives die, or so many people try to poison them, or to put something weird in their drink, or maybe it's not intentional, it's just over there, you don't want to drink water if you can't see it, you know? But they will only drink out of clear glasses, and the truth is, it's really what the kind of cup God wants you to be in your life. Just, just clear. Not trying to match what's on the outside with the inside, but just trying to be who you are, wide open, all the time. There's a freedom in transparency that you won't ever know until you try. We all talk about it. We all want it. We use, we use phrase all the time, like, I can see right through you. That, what that means is there's a facade, and I see it, and you're, you know, I, I see through, what, I see who you really are. I'll give you a chance today to, to just be transparent, to be who you are. You're in the right place for that today. The funny thing is, the amazing thing is, God knows it. Jesus knew that Peter really was going to deny him. He loved him anyway. He died on the cross anyway. He knows who you are and he loves you anyway. So be who you are. And you can't be who you are while you're wearing a mask. Take them off today. Stop the game. I'm going to go right back there to that corner, but this is just between you and God. Would you choose today the hope, the peace, and the courage instead of the despair, the anxiety, and the fear. I love you, and I love you just like you are. Would you be who you are today? Stand up, and let's pray to God. Sing to God.